Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Hello, everybody. How are you doing tonight? I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. I am grateful and thankful for you to join me tonight. And I just want to uh, put out there that, hey, tonight uh, I may just decide to do it my way, you know, uh, each time I, uh, uh, you know, have a whole lot on my mind where uh, I want to talk about something and, and kind of vent, I uh, uh, kind of do that every now and then. But uh, we're going to decide exactly how we're going to play it tonight because uh, I want to put out there a few things and just uh, let it go as, uh, you know, however it happens. You know, whatever whatever we do or however we decide to do it, I'm going to let it go and uh, see what happens. But as I do before every show, I always pause and uh, thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for just allowing me to host the show, for allowing me to be here and, and to be able to, uh, uh, you know, do what we do and, and putting it out there. So sometimes I just want to allow things to sort of uh, take its place. So it's one of those nights where you got to put something out there that says something to everybody because... Uh, Woo-hoo. a whole lot is going on, a whole lot is going on, and uh, for me, I always turn to the old schools, either Marvin Gaye or Hell Melvin and the Blue Notes. Change it, yeah, just you and me, change it. I'd say, you know, it's always one of those things where that particular song saying, wake up everybody, 
No more sleeping in bed because we have to be the change that we want. We have to be the change we want to see. We have to do it. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to get done. And as we always say, you know, who's going to be for you uh, other than you? You know, it's not a whole lot of people out there wants to hear your problems. Not a whole lot of people out there want to be bothered with your problems. They got their own problems. So certainly when it comes down to this thing that we call politics and all the issues, it's supposed to be that collective unit that we're supposed to be out there working together, doing things. But quite frankly, it never works out that way. It's always one of those things where something always happens, something always goes, you know, left or something always goes right or something happens and you never think about it. So when I host this show each and every week and I think about it and I think about all the things that we have to deal with, all the things that we go through as a community of color and what's happening, I have to say thank you, Jesus, for just allowing me to host the platform and have it. Uh, to talk about the social, the economic, the political impact of public policy on our community and to look at it from a standpoint of recognizing that, yes, we have to do something. We have to participate in the process. We have to be a part of the process. We have to get involved in the process. And we cannot continue to just sit around and think or sit around and allow the process to pass us by or take advantage of us and, and use us where we are not a part of the solution and reaping the benefits of all the things that are going on. As many of you know, two weeks ago, we celebrated our second annual uh, Congressional Black Caucus reception at the Embassy of the Republic of South Africa. Uh, it was a very exciting, uh, momentous event for us. Uh, we had folks from all walks of life uh, attending, Black, White, Democrat, Republican, Progressive, Conservative, you name it, D.C. Natives, Midwesterners, Floridians, New Yorkers, and uh, folks from California and, and the West Coast. Uh, it was an honor for us and a pleasure uh, for my uh, business partner and I, Antonio, uh, Antoine Thompson, and I uh, to host our recipients uh, that we honored, our honorees that we uh, uh, provided honors to and awards to. But more importantly, uh, it was a pleasure just to host the guests from across the country. I mean, we were excited to see so many people come out and support us and so many people who had just seen us online or a friend told them, hey, come to this event. And they came and uh, you're going to be seeing some of those posts on the uh, uh, on our website, as well as uh, in our, our emails that we'll, we'll be sending out this week uh, with various uh, updates and different points of article. Last week, I had uh, two of my writers on the show and uh, uh, that, that are contributors to Black Politics Today magazine. So we'll be uh, posting different things out throughout the week and, and next week and each week uh, moving forward as we move into 2020. On Friday, the nation learned of an inspector general's report of a whistleblower uh, shedding light on what could turn out to be misconduct by Donald Trump. By all reporting accounts, which were first reported by the Wall Street Journal, uh, Trump had eight conversations or, in essence, asked the president of Ukraine eight times uh, seeking his support to provide dirt on Joe Biden. And the interesting thing about that is that he's presuming that Joe Biden is going to be his his uh, uh, um, you know what uh, person he's going to run against or his competitor or, or the candidate he's going to run against in 2020. So he's been looking for dirt on Biden to try to eliminate him uh, throughout the process. And or it could be that he's trying to get that dirt now to eliminate Biden from being his uh, uh, opponent. So that Biden can't take, you know, come and take away those uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio votes that uh, went for Barack and Biden in 2008 and 2012. It could be that he's looking to prevent Biden from even getting the nomination. But in either case, uh, the conduct that uh, has been reported that he has uh, uh, participated in. Uh, is one where he has essentially gone to a foreign nation, a foreign government, and said, hey, as he told us he would, go get opposition research for me on my political opponents so that I can eliminate them uh, and then be able to hold on and sustain my presidency 
for another four years. And as he said, he's not leaving. So he thinks he's a king. He thinks he's a dictator. He wants to be like um, uh, China or like even Russia or North Korea, where they, you know, sit there, even though they call themselves democratic, you know, elections, they're not really democratic elections, but they end up, you know, eliminating their political opponents and being able to stay in office for as long as they want. And in the case of China, they've actually changed the constitution there where he will be president for the rest of his life. Uh, so he will never leave office in China. And Trump is seemingly trying to, uh, and he's openly spoke about this, that he's trying to do something like that himself. So he's, uh, uh, the Ukrainian president refused to do the investigation. And so as a result of that, Trump threatened to hold back congressional approved military funding uh, unless he started or, or would do an investigation against Joe Biden and his son um, for a position that his son held on a, on a Ukrainian uh, uh, board of a company. And so what's, what's happening now is everyone's up in arms about it, which they should be. And then you have cockeyed wayward, you know, I think he's got dementia, uh, Rudy Giuliani going out there admitting uh, that, yeah, I did it. So what? And then saying, no, I didn't do it. You're crazy. But yeah, I did do it. So what? So he's going back and forth. So it could be a ploy. Who knows what Rudy Giuliani, because clearly, you know, this dude is, you know, sideways from, uh, you know, every, every way you can look at him. Uh, he'll say one thing, turn around and say he didn't say it and come back, say it another way. But I think that's all about the ploy of, you know, what I'm calling, you know, Trump in plain sight, you know, crookedness in plain sight, because that's exactly what he does. He'll say what he's going to do in plain sight. So therefore it can't be corruption, but it must be something. But then, of course, Congress doesn't do anything about it. The Democrats sit on their hands and don't do a darn thing about it because they're too scared to do something because they're afraid the public's going to vote one way because they don't want impeachment. They don't want this. But then we're setting a precedent by not doing something. So trust and believe if that was Obama, if that was Clinton, if that was Hillary, oh, hell, we all know if that was Hillary, it would have been game over. Republicans would have set out to impeach her as soon as they heard anything about this. Um, but that's not going to happen. So the other thing is, again, wake up. You got to get out and go to the polls. You're going to have to do what you want to do. Uh, because if you don't, we can deal with another four years of this. Or, you know, if you think this four years is crazy, wait until the next four years, because certainly it might be even worse. In addition to that, the saga of, of uh, Giuliani, uh, in addition to the saga of uh, Trump and Giuliani, Senator Cory Booker came out this past weekend also saying that uh, he's going to need help uh, raising a million dollars by the end of this month before the reporting comes out uh, to maintain his presidential race for 2020. It's very interesting that Cory's status and the way he had come onto the scene as a senator was very popular uh, and, and, you know, some progressive and, and, and people just resonated with him and they were behind him in every capacity when he, you know, as senator. But something, you know, seemed to take a turn when he decided to run for president and things just haven't, you know, gone as well. And I had the feeling that would happen. I was not sure uh, that America was going to say they were going to elect African-American back to back. Uh, I think, you know, Obama was a test case for them in a sense. Um, and I think they were, you know, for the most part, pleased. but it's, it's that same thing, you know, yeah, we'll let one go, but we don't know if we're going to do two. It's like, you know, we'll get one black head coach, but we're not going to like, when we fire that head coach, we're not going to go back and hire another black head coach. We'll hire a white head coach, but we may get a black quarterback or a black assistant coach or something of that nature. And I think that's that's what uh, the people are looking for. And, and unfortunately, this nation hasn't gotten to a point where we can really say, oh, sure, we can have two African-Americans back to back or we can have two African-Americans on the ticket. Because, you know, if we did that, people go crazy with that in, in addition. So that's something that we're also going to uh, uh, head up tonight. And then, of course, we're going to talk about this uh, General Motors strike uh, threatening the economy and the middle class 
and that voting block that Trump promised to uh, make uh, their lives better uh, for them in the future, or at least, as he said, he was going to do that, and he was going to bring them back in and bring back manufacturing jobs, and wages were going to grow, go up, and all these great things were going to happen under his leadership, uh, and it just quite hasn't happened. So joining me tonight, and returning to the show tonight, is my good friend uh, and uh, Trumpian supporter and uh, longtime uh, native Washingtonian and former ANC commissioner of Ward 7 here in Washington, D.C., is my good friend Greg Stewart. Uh, Greg is... Uh, you know, a, a very uh, knowledgeable and, and, and okay. supportive uh, information, a supportive person for Donald Trump. And uh, we appreciate that because he always creates and makes for a lively conversation. Uh, no matter what happens, no matter what we're talking about, it can be ice. And if it's ice and Trump, it's a lively conversation. So, Greg, welcome back to the show, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. How you doing? How's everybody doing this evening? We're good, man. We're good. Let me start first by telling you and saying to you, um, I didn't get a chance to really uh, connect with you uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I want to thank you tremendously uh, for your support, uh, for coming out to uh, the reception, for bringing some of your colleagues and some of your GOPers out to the Black Politics Today reception. And I'm truly grateful for your support and participation um, you have been a member of the show and been a part of the okay. show since our inception. And, uh, I just want to thank you for that and appreciate all that you've done. Uh, I was, I was quite humbled. The fact that you sent me, you know, hit me up and was like, Hey, I'm bringing 20 people with me. You know, we're coming and we're coming out to, to support and to, you know, network and do all that stuff. I mean, no one else brought 20 people. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your continued support. And, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, eternally, and I, I trust that you had a good time and everything worked out. You guys were able to mix and mingle and you know cross the cross aisles, cross the uh, uh, the aisles, and and talk to some progressives, talk to some more Republicans, talk to some Democrats, and talk to whoever else was out there and had a good time. So I want to thank you for that, my brother. All right. Well, glad you know. Thank you for um, inviting us. It was like it was. I was surprised about the invite. I'll be honest. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got a bunch of Republicans. Are you sure you, you want me to show up? Invite? Come on, man. You, know, you said invite your friends. I said, wait a minute. I got a bunch of Republicans. Did you tell I everybody you I said, like, hey, man, we're, 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 I said, I said, we're showing up with a bunch of MAGA hats. And you went, okay. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I didn't want to start no fights up in there, but, you know, come on, bring a pin, wear a pin, wear a lapel pin, whatever you want to do. But the MAGA hats, that probably would have set it off. Okay. <laughs> but no, certainly I want to, uh, Always, because, you know, we want to do what we can do with BPT, and that's why you've always been a part of the show. Uh, we're about what's happening for black folks. Now, I may disagree. I may not you know, agree with what's going on, but it's not going to stop the dialogue or conversation, what we're going to have. So certainly, anytime that we're doing something, we want you guys to be a part of it. You, Ralph, and all the gang that you came out. So I want to thank Ralph publicly on the air, but certainly tell him, um, uh, again, thank you as well for coming out. So, um, oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So let me get started with this uh, General Motors thing, man, because uh, looking at this strike going into its second week and how it came about, how do you see and, and uh, the worker strike is uh, going to impact? How do you see it impacting uh, your president's reelection bid? Because he came out making all these promises that everything was going to be gravy and we're going to have a little extra sauce on top. And, uh, Companies are, are are fleeing and laying off people left and right. Um, our company is that is that in fact correct? Because you know we're getting like all the opposite information. It's um, that uh, I'm trying to think. Companies are hiring. It's like uh, manufacturing is increased. Um, manufacturing jobs are increased. Salaries are increased by about three or four percent. You know, overall Greg, having some Greg, of the largest Greg. gains. Yes. <laughs> Great. Why do you keep bringing me these damn talking points? <laughs> okay, let's be let's let's be real. Let's look at the Department of Labor's statistics. Okay, let's look at their statistics. Your presence, secretary, the people he appoint, all those people's statistics. General Motors laying off people. Carrier has laid off people. Harley Davidson is laying off people in closing plants. What do you mean, people? What if the statistics are right? 
people are losing jobs. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't jobs being created in some form or fashion, so there's a net there, but people are losing jobs in the Midwest that were supposed to gain jobs in the Midwest. The Midwest isn't gaining jobs. Well, if the Midwest wasn't gaining jobs, then I'm trying to then I'm trying to think then the Democrats wouldn't have anything to worry about trying to pull those Midwestern states. But since that's not the case, I'd say that the Midwest is in fact gaining jobs. And the, actually that, their the, economies are getting the, stronger. The truth of the matter is, Greg, that the the Democrats having a problem or not having a problem, because we don't know if they're having a problem yet, given the fact that we haven't had the presidential election, but we certainly know that your ass has got tapped in twenty eighteen all across the country. In the Midwest, in the South, in the Deep South. So there was no problem for Democrats in the Midwest during 2018. So that analogy is just erroneous and false that you just made. So there was no problem there. And in fact, if there was no problem, Trump wouldn't be sitting at 42% in all the Midwestern states that he won. He'd be sitting at 60, 70, 80%. But the fact that he's sitting at 42% in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, even in Indiana, which is a red state, that his vice president, Kerry, he's not even above 50% in any of those states. So you have the problem, not the Democrats. Are those numbers the same or higher than they were going into the 2016 election? I think they were kind of like the same. So, you know, we have no concern. And having interfaces like going to rallies and traveling to those states within the last six, eight months, I'll let you know that the people on the ground going through there, jobs are up, their salaries are up, those people are starting to spend more money. Um, of salaries course, they're going a little bit. Salaries are up. Where are salaries up? Where? In, in the Midwest, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Heck, there was even something that Minnesota is actually in danger of tipping over to red as well. So that whole Midwest <laughs> is getting – Pennsylvania is getting stronger for us. Okay, well, we know Pennsylvania is not getting stronger for you. We know that. Otherwise, uh, uh, your your senator would have been speaking out in support of everything that the president, uh, uh, that Trump is doing, rather than keeping quiet and not saying anything, like the rest of the party. Which particular? Because if, which senator? if everything was going in Pennsylvania. Who is that, Toomey? Toomey. Casey, Toomey? Yeah, Pat Toomey. Yeah, Jimmy. I mean, come on. Oh. If, if if everything was so great, he'd be out there, you know, doing rah rah. If everything is so great, even Mitch McConnell be saying rah rah. He's in he's in a safe seat, a safe district, but he ain't saying nothing. You know why? Because no. he's scared too. All you Republicans don't say anything. You guys sit back there and you you're not even reading your own data that's telling you what your you know what the positions are. You're only listening to Trump telling you, oh, everything's great and beautiful. I mean, the reality of this is that if you're having a strike with General Motors, which is the heart of the heartland from Detroit, from Michigan to Ohio to Indiana, um, uh, you know, those states, even Pennsylvania, you guys are in trouble with that. You can't afford to have those people go on strike because you can't blame it on Democrats. Oh, why not? We can blame it on General Motors. We're not in control. That's an issue between. And we're not in control. No, we're not in control of General Motors. That's an issue between the CEO. That General Motors is a private company, and between the CEO and the employees, and they have a they have a union. They are negotiating, and there's a disagreement between management and labor. As this is not the first General Motors strike, and it won't be the last. Why is the what is the issue with management of General Motors? not wanting to do what they're doing or not wanting to provide or pay these employees. Why? Because they're afraid of what's going to happen. They're afraid of a recession. They're afraid of what's, you know, whether or not they're going to have uh, the ability to even pay the benefits or do anything that they need to do because of what this president has done. And then he's going to try to tell companies, I demand that you do what I tell you to do. But just as you said, they're private companies. My question is, why just General Motors? I mean, we have tons of manufacturing. We have Ford. We have BMW, okay, well, Volkswagen. None of those other ones are having problems. What what General Motors is unique. Uh, what, what happened to Carrier? Oh, the one in Indiana. When, yeah, one in Indiana. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna produce and we're gonna save you know 750 jobs, and then what? Six months after the election, those jobs go away. Yep. 
because it was a private company making a private company decision, and they okay, left. But, and if but, we were in charge, we would have made them but stay. The president said that he made a deal to keep them there and that they were going to stay. He said that he made a deal yes, and did. they were going to stay. Yep. The, obviously, the deal wasn't good enough because they left. The private company left. sent them out. He said he was going to make a deal with Harley Davidson. They left. They closed down two plants. So what happened there? And these are Republicans. Yes, they are. See, these aren't Democrats. And, these are Republicans. So if the Republican districts, who, Republican districts and Republican-held companies. So if these companies are supporting that president and saying, yeah, 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 rah, rah, rah. But as soon as he walks out the office, he turn, they turn around, and then they fire a 1,000 workers, shut down plants, you know, cause these people to go into unemployment. I mean, what kind of deal maker is he? What kind of, what kind of deal is he making? And his own supporters don't even back him. I mean, I mean well, I'll say, I'll, everything I'll say is not gravy, Greg. Everything's not gravy. So at some point, you guys have to sit back and admit, you know, stuff isn't going as well as expected. And hopefully, if he can change it, he can make it better. But everything's not going gravy. Everything is not going well as, the, as he expected or as he said it was going to happen, which we all knew. But, you know, hey, 63 million people believed him. And, and that number is increasing. Because I, yeah, I'll say that because it's like you know you're, it's I mean you're mentioning this is like hey look hey look we're not perfect okay, wait. Um, how, we, how we are we are we are correct we are correcting we are correcting manufacturing jobs being lost for the last what thirty forty fifty years we've only been in there for three we were okay. not ex- we there was no way we were going to fix thirty forty fifty years of the outsourcing of jobs in three years you know we're working on it. All we know okay. is that in those industries, um, in oil and gas industries, in our manufacturing industries, in our coal-burning industries, those industries are doing very, very well. They're doing very well. Carrie, you're leaving here. Carrie has about 50,000. Carrie has about 50,000. He's burning more They're burning more coal plants. All those coal workers in West Virginia, they're sitting there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. What do you mean they're going no, better? They're, they're doing better. The plants are closing. They're doing better. How no, are they, they doing, doing more better when the mines are closing? We're not using coal the way we used to, Greg. Oh, oh yes, miners, we are. Those miners in Tennessee and in West Virginia, those mines have closed, and those miners are sitting back there saying, what are we going to do? That went no, on in no, 2018. They're, uh, they're doing better now, and they're doing, and they're doing better because they they're producing better? more steel. Because they're producing more steel. Because they're producing more steel because they're doing more energy right. exporting. No, no I'm sorry. Typical, I'm sorry. typical private business. Okay. Okay. So the coal miners are doing better because they're producing more steel and they're doing better. Yes. They burn, they're burning more coal because they're producing more steel. And we're starting to in, export more steel and use more steel in the construction of our things here in the U.S. We were importing a ton of Chinese steel. Uh, that's actually gone down. We're starting to produce more stuff here. I'm not so sure about the aluminum. I haven't checked the aluminum yet, but it, we're definitely producing more steel, which means that we really? have to do more coal fi- coal fired plants to produce more steel to do more manufacturing. Oh, okay, okay. So where's all this manufacturing going on? Um, Pennsylvania, a lot. Where, Gregory? What 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 companies has come? What companies have come back from overseas to rest and 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 start up in Pennsylvania? And they're just doing great. They hired somebody. Who? Who? Where is that data? Where is that? Because I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the web right back. now, and I'm not seeing. I'm not. I haven't seen any new manufacturing companies come from overseas and 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 start up in Pennsylvania. That's correct. Because I think U.S. Steel and a couple of other ones they shut down their factories when productivity goes down. Now, because productivity is going back up, they are reopening those factories and adding another furnace because they do their blast furnaces. That's how the steel companies. That's how they do their business. They have different furnaces for burning, you know, producing steel. So when um, when demand is light, let's say they have four, they'll shut it down to three or two. When they shut it down to three or two, they then have to lay off employees because they're no longer working the hours for burning as much steel. Once they start going back up to full capacity, then they start hiring more more employees. That's how okay. So when did this happen? When, when did this happen? When did this happen? Huh. No, it's happening now, and it's been happening since we've been doing more. Um, since they've, they've been tightening up, the tariffs have um, done quite a bit of a job because now for people, they're doing a lot of the road projects and all the other stuff like that. There's tons and tons of steel. 
even though there's okay. not been a major oh. infrastructure, but if you're oh. going around places, oh. they're still doing things, and they're buying steel, and they're starting to produce more steel. And the military, those ships and all that stuff like that, that steel, that steel that we're making here. Okay. So that those, me, those, me, those two me, or three me, really me, big military budgets. Let me challenge yeah. you on that one. Let me challenge you on that. And I want everyone who's listening, I want you to go to your computer or pull up on your phone. I want you to Google what companies – uh, this was my Google search. What companies, what steel companies have returned to the U.S.? That was my Google search. And the first thing that popped up was U.S. steel companies face downturn despite Trump claims of revival. The very first one, right? President Trump has launched, has latched on to the idea of using steel to build his wall along the southern border, praising himself for fulfilling two campaign promises at once, keeping out illegal immigrants and resuscitating the struggling industry. There were, they were doing very poorly when I took office, and now we're doing very well, Mr. Trump said, of America's steelmakers before boarding Marine One last month. Right? About 10 months since the Trump administration imposed 25% tariffs on steel imports, prices in the United States have now fallen back to levels last seen before the tariffs were announced in March. Hiring in the steel sector remains stagnant, in part because new mills have become more reliant on automation. Even with the opening mm -hmm. and restarting of mills last year, direct steel import employment has dropped 4% lower than it was four years ago. So there's no increase in steel production, Gregory. Well, sure it now, is. Infrastructure. You just said building that wall. That's all steel. They're, they're not building any wall, Gregory. <laughs> Come on now. You and I both know that no wall is being built that was not already designed to be refurbished. There's no new wall being built. The only walls that are being taken care of, the only walls that are being taken care of are the walls that were already existing that were being refurbished. Are you know being maintenance or maintained? That's the only walls that are being done. There's no walls being done. No, no. You go up you know showing that, you know steel better wall that, under construction, Gregory, replacing they're existing. Not showing you any. Okay. Sure so, all right. So I'm I'm gonna give you that. If they're if you're saying they're replacing existing wall, that's not producing and making it so that oh my god, all this steel is being used. That's already been used. That's, that's steel that's already been produced, just had not been built yet, hadn't been used. That's not new steel being made. That's steel that was already there. Come on now. You know that. That's steel that was already there. No, not yeah, those 30, 30 foot sections. That's all, that's all steel. Uh, okay. I, it's all steel, but it's not new yeah. steel. Okay. It's not like, oh, it's just a fresh batch just coming out because all this manufacturing is going on. That was already in the plans. That was in the plans under the Obama administration, just had not been put up yet. Nothing has happened on any new pieces of wall from Donald Trump's administration in the last three years. Nothing. Only thing that's happened is the refurbishing of existing wall that is going on that he is claiming is new wall to make you guys believe that he's actually doing something. So let me go to this. So let me let me go to this. Let me let me ask you about this. Why is it that he's so afraid of a primary opponent that he's getting all of your state um your your state uh, uh parties Republican parties to eliminate a primary? How is that democracy? No, the same way that they're doing the uh, DNC debates, how they're changing it and slowly but surely eliminating people like Tulsi Gabbard and all that because it's that question of the party to set the terms for having a debate. If those people are not okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Gregory, Gregory, yep. we're talking about debate and we're talking about actual ability to vote. Your party is eliminating individuals from the ability to actually vote for a choice that they want to have. The party structure in terms of uh, making sure that people can raise the money and get the, the poll numbers to be on the debate stage is something totally different. That's totally different. Nobody is being eliminated or blocked from being able to vote. So if they want to vote for uh, 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 Gabby, they can then, when they get polled, they can contribute money to her. They can poll, and she can stay on the debate stage. 
your president and your party is saying we're eliminating primaries and caucuses. Alaska is eliminating the primary. Uh, Arizona is eliminating primaries so that no one can run against him because they're afraid that he would lose if he had a primary challenger. How is that democracy? Um, that's up to that particular party. And it's up to the people. That's that your party, Greg. That's your party. Those people that feel it, whatever the process and procedures, they have recourse on to be able to change that. They actually do. And there's nothing stopping them from getting on the ballot as independents later. So, so, so what you're telling me is that it's okay that they eliminate the primaries for Donald Trump is what you're telling me. Oh, no. What I'm saying is I don't know the uh, rules governing that as far as the RNC is concerned. And if they, if they do, in fact, have that ability, and it is in the rule book, and they are merely following the rules, hey, the rules are the rules. Are you serious, Gregory? Yes, are you, I are am. You serious? You're serious. So you're, you're saying that the RNC, which you are a member of, the RNC, you don't know the rules of the RNC in terms of the governing of primaries and candidates being able to file and say, I want to run for president in the Republican primary, but because Donald Trump is the president, they are saying you no longer have that right or ability because they are changing the rules, if that's the case, because they are changing the rules. And the reality, they're changing the rules to suit and to meet Donald Trump so he doesn't have a primary challenger because they know he's too damn weak and he would lose. Now, what I'm saying is I'm hearing what, what you said was you didn't say that the RNC canceled all the primaries. You said the individual states, each one has their own set of rules governing ballot access and primary challengers that each individual state is making that decision, which are the current rules. The national RNC has not and does not have the authority to cancel those rules for the 50 individual states. Each state governs themselves as far as primary access, ballot access, and um, how do challengers get on there for, the, you know, for debate. So, again, I say, and yeah. for you, that's okay. Those individual states deciding to eliminate the primaries so that there cannot be a Republican challenger to the uh, to the process or to uh, Donald Trump is okay because that's that individual state's rights and rules. He's a sitting president. Whatever the Dem did in 2012 when there was a sitting president, they there was no primary challenger in 2012 either for the Dem incumbent. They didn't change Democrat the rules. President. They didn't change the rules who, to stop who, anybody from challenging. Who said they I changed mean, it the rules? Was, it, was, it was natural. That's why I just said they did who not said change it? the rules. They didn't change any rules. Uh, did, did you hear about any rules being changed? Did you hear uh, about just any, because the media? Did you hold on, hold just on, because on. the media did, did not report any, it? That mean it wasn't didn't did occur. Did you hear any state saying we're going to eliminate the primaries against Barack Obama? There I didn't hear a lot of news coming was, out of the uh, media. There was not a need for a challenger against Obama because he had done a good job, and no one was going to run against him. So there was no reason to. The reason you have a challenger for Donald Trump is because he's not doing a good job. There's three people, although they're weak as hell, that they're coming out against him. There's three people who are coming out against him just because they just want to get out there just to do something. They know they're not going to win. They also know that what he is doing and the position that he is in is just tearing this country apart. So they want to do something about it. But your Republican Party has decided that they're going to eliminate the ability for them to even have a voice, and therefore they're going to eliminate a primary challenge in particular states to give him a free pass and give him a free walk. Worst well, democracy then, fortunately, and it's worse than fortunate, democracy. Fortunate, fortunate, fortunately, all those people, if they are in fact disenfranchised, and if they in fact do not like it during the general election. They will have a Democrat – I mean you can't eliminate that. There will be a Democrat nominee on the ballot that they will have then have the right to vote for that Democrat and not vote for the Republican. They have that well, right. They're going to do that anyway. democracy in that. They're going to do that anyway. But to eliminate yeah. that process for them on during the primary season is, is real hypocritical to you guys because you know 
You guys are sitting there saying, oh, no, everyone gets a chance to vote. It's always a chance to vote. But now we see that not after you did it to black folks and brown folks, you're doing it to your own white folks simply because you want to keep a fool in office. I've always been wondering about that. I keep hearing about the black and white folks and brown folks. Now, by looking at – if you actually look at the statistics in these um, – the biggest – Disenfranchisement and voter disenfranchisement are actually in heavy dim states like New York and California that have dim legislatures, dim attorney generals. That's where you have the biggest disenfranchisement because, as you guys talk about, Doug Jones is in because all because the majority of black women voted in deep red Alabama, and that turnout is greater than deep blue California and New York. So we're sitting there going, wait, if we're talking about voter disenfranchisement and discrimination and hating black and brown folks, why is that never discussed on the Democrat side? Because in the Dem states, heavy Dem states, you have the biggest amount of voter disenfranchisement. You have the largest amount of incarcerated no, individuals don't, returning don't, that don't, don't have the vote. Have. You have – it's less in the – it's the blue states. Or have a greater voter disenfranchisement among black and brown folks than the red states. And the red states do have comparable – Alabama, Mississippi, those, they do have comparable amounts of black folks. They, so you're going to have to do an apples-to-apples comparison. And definitely Georgia and definitely Alabama. Gregory. Really? Yes. Okay. Really. So, so you're going to tell me that – the majority of disenfranchisement is in California because New York, the, California, because, New York, because, because California Democrats are disenfranchising their voters and New York yes. Democrats are disenfranchising their voters. Yes, that, that, that's what you're trying to trying to plausibly plausibly try to argue. That's exactly what I'm arguing. OK, uh, Greg, you pull the numbers Gregory. up. The voter turnout in those states is Obama is disgustingly low. Okay, voter turnout across the nation is disgustingly low. So you cannot and use I'm, that as a barometer. You cannot say because the people, the voter turnout in California is low that they were disenfranchised. You can't say that because there is no there is no voter ID law in California that's disenfranchising black folks that says that they have to do uh, jump through fifteen hoops to get an ID to vote. That's not happening in California but, or New York. That's happening but, in Alabama. But That's happening in Georgia. Yes, That's happening in yes, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it no, is. it's not. And so 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 how come those three states have a higher African American turnout than those states that don't disenfranchise? And they do. Because Gillum says he should have won. Stacey Abrams still thinks that she won. I mean, come on. She and Doug did. Jones won I mean, in Alabama, and, 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 and Doug Jones won. Reality, Doug Jones won in Alabama. Their voter okay, turnout was all, extremely high among African Americans. We're talking about first of all, we're talking about one a special election. Okay, first of all, we're talking about a special election, and we're also talking about a pedophile that he ran against. So the pedophile that he ran against, a lot of people just stayed home. A lot of white folks stayed home and didn't vote. So the fact that you had more black people voting in Alabama is no barometer to say that the disenfranchisement in California is because people were prevented from voting. That's a bunch of BS, and you know that. What you did have in Alabama was folks saying, you know what, we're not going to elect a pedophile. We're not going to elect a judge that has been disbarred or, I mean, uh, taken off the bench by the um, – uh, by the Supreme Court of the state twice, and we're not going to put him up there because he's 30 years old going after 14-year-olds. So white folks said we're not going to vote for him, and they stayed home, and the black folks who did vote put Doug Jones in office. So don't try to compare the apples and apples to what's going on here when you know the reason why Doug Jones won was purely because you had a jacked-up candidate, and there was no way in hell anybody was going to vote for his ass. Had you had a decent candidate, Doug Jones probably would not have won. And in this election coming up, if um, uh, Roy Moore is not the candidate, he may lose. Doug Jones may lose if people decide to go with the Republicans because it's such a red state. So don't sit there and try to tell me that disenfranchisement in New York and California is so great that it's bigger than the South. It's not. Georgia has it. Florida has it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm saying, yeah, that's right, but I'm saying that the vote turnout in Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, the voter turnout amongst African Americans, the percentage is higher than it is in California and New York. Okay, Gregory. By about, so 10, by about 10 percentage so, points. Yes. So here's, here's the deal. If there is 30 million people in California and only 10 million in Georgia, yeah, you might Georgia, Georgia's have a big bigger state. percentage. But they don't have 30 million people. Do, do California to Florida. Florida's got a good size. You know, okay. California to Florida. Florida Florida's Even a pretty big that, state, and the, turn, the turnout was They don't have 30 million people either. Yeah, they do. And, and you have and you had uh, an African-American on the ballot for the first time. So that naturally created a higher turnout. There was no African-American on the ballot in California. So you, you're sitting here trying to say that there was disenfranchisement. There was not disenfranchisement. But, there was just a higher voter so, turnout. There's a difference. So why are the people not why are the people not turning out? I mean, shouldn't they be turning out for every single election? It was the 2016. It was the 26 was it 2016? Yeah, it was the, yeah, I think it's the 2016 election. Okay. If you so, look at so it, there's a higher voter turnout. Since you asked me that question, let me pose it to you this way. In 2008 and in 2012, white folks sat home on uh, on McCain and Romney. So why didn't they turn out? Yeah, like those, two were weak. those two were weak. Okay, so is so I'm I'm sorry. They were weak, so white folks didn't turn out. So what you're saying is that whoever was running in California was strong and black folks didn't turn out? Is no, that what you're California. I'm saying in California and New York, because it's like every time I hear a discussion of voter disenfranchisement, white folks – Yes. No, black and brown White, people complain black, about you complain obstructing their voter disenfranchisement. And I'm right. saying, where are they? Where's the voter disenfranchisement? Which states? And if you look at it, the states where there's all the okay, complaints so, about voter so, disenfranchisement are so in Democrat Georgia. States. In Georgia, yes. Gregory, when the secretary of state who was running for governor decided to eliminate a million people off the roll because they didn't vote in the primary election in 2016. Uh, that was a problem because, one, it was illegal, and two, after they did that and they went to court and had it reinstated, they didn't reinstate those voters to the roll because then they had to go out there and contact those voters to let them know they were eliminated from the rolls, which they did not do. So that's disenfranchisement. That's not voter turnout. That means you purposely eliminated individuals from being able to actually go to the polls and vote Otherwise, when they did show up, you made them vote provisionally if they if they were allowed to even do that, because they also had to show up with the correct ID that you made them go out and buy and pay for because their regular ID wasn't good enough. That's disenfranchisement. Deciding that I'm going to stay home is deciding I don't want to vote this time or I missed it because I was working late. That's not disenfranchisement. That's voter turnout. You can't mix the two. So now let me get to this Ukraine deal. Now let me get to this Ukraine uh, Ukraine deal where your boy is sitting there threatening the president of Ukraine, telling him, I'm not going to give you $250 million unless you start an investigation on Joe Biden because I don't want Joe Biden to run against me. How are you guys sitting back and allowing all this crap to happen under this administration? All what crap? I mean, because okay. it was like, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, during the Ukraine thing, during the Ukraine thing, wasn't there a threat of Joe Biden himself on tape that he was going to withhold a billion dollars if his son wasn't given an illegal contract? I mean, no, I've, I've seen that video. A billion dollars because they wanted to get rid of the prosecutor who was not investigating corruption. I mean, did his son get a? Have you got your head so far up Breitbart that you can't even get the real facts? Oh no, man, you guys are so dis. Man, you guys, you guys, your TDS so severe. You my boy, man. Get come on, put get real. Go take some for the TDS. Take some for the TDS. Trump derangement syndrome. Get real. Trump derangement. Exactly. Are you guys? I don't know if we. 
I'm trying to women. think. Do they Hold have on. any let medication me, to cure you guys' term, the major syndrome when you lose Joe this year? Biden is when you lose next year. And I'm going to withhold a billion dollars if you don't give my son a contract. Where's that tape at? Where's that tape at? Who, who, oh. who, who has that tape? Because oh. that tape will be out there. Oh, man. Now, there, there is a tape where Joe Biden said he was withholding a billion dollars in loan guarantees from all the Western uh, countries because of Ukraine's yep. corruption with Russia and that the prosecutor who was supposed to be investigating that was not doing his job. There was nothing about I'm going to withhold a billion dollars because my son didn't get a contract. Mm, that's not the way we look at it. Okay, how you look at it and what the truth is is two different two different things. We know you guys look at stuff cockeyed because you guys don't look at things right in any form or fashion because you're always looking to scheme. There's never a way no, we, you guys can win. There's never a way you guys can win on your own merit. You guys we're not suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, you, you we're suffering, not you suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. Are. You yeah. definitely are, and I'm glad you, you got, brought it up. You got I didn't have you, you guys are seeing this like, oh my God! From the derangement, Orange Man bad. <laughs> so <Exactly>. funny. <laughs> see, see, you guys are here. We're laughing. You know, I know you do. I know you do because politics is more important to you guys than that constitution you guys used to care around. Oh, we still do. No, you don't care. We actually read it. We're not trying to violate it. You're not trying to violate it. Are you kidding? We're not talking. No, we're. We're not trying to add 25 Supreme Court justices to get our way. Um, <laughs> we're not. Are you serious? We're, no, you're not we're, trying we're to, add to this You just withheld the one that was authorized and legitimately purposeful for the president that was sat there before. You decided that you didn't want to allow that person to even get a hearing, which violated the Constitution that you so gallantly uphold, as you say. But yet you didn't do what the Constitution said which was he has the right to appoint who he wants to appoint. As you do now, we say, well, Trump has the right to appoint any justice he wants. But Obama didn't have that yep. same right. Oh, take that up. Yeah, that, that was between you and Obama. Why, really? why didn't he push it? How, wait a How's that taking it? What do you mean? How, why didn't he push kind, it? Yeah. See, here's, here's the deal, Greg. Here's the deal. You want us to have to go through leaps and bounds to do things to satisfy your group and your party. But then when your party is in control, it doesn't matter how much laws or how many laws you break or how you break the law or how you obfuscate the Constitution or do anything like that. It's, oh, he should have pushed harder. Why did he have to push harder if the Constitution gives him the right to have a point who he wants to appoint? Why does he have to push for that? If you took the oath the Constitution, then that's what you do. But when you want to take the oath to only uphold the Constitution when it benefits you, that's when you become hypocrites, liars, degenerates, you become the deplorables. There was nothing stopping Obama. Nothing stopped Obama from pushing anything. He just didn't do it. The Dems didn't do it, and we're sitting up here going, "Wait a minute! Everything's really? written on the book. There's really? nothing. There's nothing really? McConnell really? did. There's not on the book." And there's no there counter that they couldn't have. Um, they couldn't have gone over. They could have given it. Never right. gave him a hearing. That's what he did. He never gave him a hearing. McConnell, as the as the as a president uh, or as the a leader of the Senate, determines what comes on the floor, who gets the hearings, and who doesn't. So yes, he did do that. He violated. The oh well, you guys. No, you guys could have forced the issue. That's all you had to do. You didn't okay, make Gregor. enough noise. I mean, okay, instead okay, of out there yeah. protesting. Okay. Instead of out there, right. instead of out right. there so protesting and disrupting my commute this that's morning, y'all could have been up there it. trying to get a Supreme Court okay. judge. You know, okay. that little kid okay. could have hit that little kid up there testifying. <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm sure that's going to change when we when we do it again. So like when Democrats win and then Republicans want to get something and we stop the Republicans from doing something, we're going to say, oh well, you just should have protested a little louder. We oh, no, we'll, we'll fight with it. No, we're gonna we fight. We're gonna fight that. it with every law that's available. That's all we'll do. Okay. We're gonna fight it with okay. every law that's available. That's it. We're not gonna complain. We're gonna sit up there and go, okay, they made a chess so move. How think, can we count so this? You don't think it's corruption that your your president said, "I'm gonna withhold money from you that has already been authorized by Congress unless you investigate Joe Biden." You don't think there was a problem with that? Nope. Why, Why would not? there be? Is there a crime? Why? Is there a crime? 
I mean, I mean, it's you, you guys, you know, because uh, you know, heard you talk to like when you talk about the there, huh? There's nothing, okay, wait, wait, there's wait, wait, nothing wait, wait, stopping wait, 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 you. I mean, Schiff wait, and Cummings wait, and all those, they're investigating everything else. They can investigate this too. There's nothing stopping you. We're we're not in the way. Is it a crime to tell a foreign government or even just a regular person? You're not going to get something unless you do something here. I'm not going to give you, you know, government allocated dollars for you. I'm going to sit there and tell you, no, you can't have it unless you actually go and investigate somebody. I want you to investigate and get some dirt on him or at least make it up. That's not a crime. That's not extortion. That's not extortion. Okay. What's the definition of extortion? Elijah Cummings, Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, all of those guys chair all of them chair committees, if what you're saying is a crime, they are fully capable of investigating it. How come they're not? That's true. That's true. Well, actually they are investigating. But my question to you my question to you, on its face, Donald Trump has already admitted he did it. Rudy Giuliani has already admitted that he did it. So if they've already admitted that they've done it, which is their their MO, admit that you did it in plain sight, so therefore it's not a crime, which it is a crime, but you're extorting a foreign government to do opposition research on a American citizen, which is also a crime, by the way, for political purposes, and then I'm going to withhold $250 million from you that Congress has already allocated to you because of our treaty that we have with you because you're an ally to help you and defend yourself against Russia, who is my boy toy, and you don't think that embezzlement, I mean, uh, extortion is a crime? Is that extortion? I'm asking. Is that extortion? I mean, yeah, you have people that can investigate it. When you threaten someone and you, with, you threaten to withhold something or you threaten them with bodily harm or whatever else, unless they do something, that's extortion, Gregory. It's, it's a real well, what's stopping code? Congress from and it should be simple for Cummings and it should be simple for Schiff and it should be simple well, simple well, for Nancy Pelosi to prove that it probably will be simple yep. once they get the whistleblower report that also is being withheld like everything else by this administration it's amazing to me how everything is supposed to be so great up and up and on the you know on the on the, the um, on the real like there's no crimes or nothing. But yet, this administration won't give up one piece of paper, one document, and, and sit there, and they always try to claim executive privilege for people who didn't even work in the White House, and they're trying to uh, proclaim executive privilege. These people are the most corrupt individuals that have ever sat in this White House in modern times. And you guys are sitting back saying, oh, well, whatever, it's okay. And as soon as the Democrat gets in, I'm hoping to God he does the same damn thing. Because I want to watch all you guys sit there and say, oh, my God, this is just absolutely unprecedented, unheard of. And we're going to turn right back around and say, you know what? Go check out Orange Man. Orange Man was doing it for four years. All we doing is following. He he set the precedent, and we're just going to do the same thing he did for four years. Eight or or 12 or 16. We haven't decided yet. Oh, you haven't decided. Oh, so you're going to change the Constitution for him. Hey. If you if we are the most corrupt ever, why wouldn't we do that? <laughs> you know what? You're absolutely right. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. One. I'll give you that one. You're absolutely right. Why wouldn't you? That would just let us know that you aren't real Americans. You're just Ponzi's for any little, you know, orange haired man that's gonna walk around and you guys just follow him with your head up to his behind. Because clearly if you don't care that the Constitution is being obliterated, then clearly you'll change it to do whatever you want just so you can get what you want because the country doesn't matter to you. Politics does. And it's by whatever means necessary that you can get what you can get so that you can keep what you have. But the irony of it is is that the black Republicans aren't in the same tax bracket category that the white ones are, and you guys are still sitting there running behind it. That's what's it's amazing. Six, it's only seven of us, you know. Let's do the Black Democrats. <laughs> only seven, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so since it's only seven, you guys are cool. You know, hey, if you get one more, get eight, you'll be happy, right? 
Exactly. You know, we go from seven to fourteen. We didn't double it. You know. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Hey, you know what? It is what it is. It is what it is, man. What's at stake for us, Gregory? Because there's a whole lot at stake for us with this dude in office. But what's at stake for us, in your opinion? Uh, what's at stake is the future. I always keep saying it's the future. It's the future, particularly for Black America. We got to get out oh, of this people of color. That, We've got to get out of everything else. What you're supporting. If it's the future of Black oh, America, how can you keep supporting yep. what you're supporting, knowing that he has done nothing for Black America? Other than the black unemployment is down, and we got to get the number of black businesses up, and we got to get black capital stabilized. And once we get all of that, you know, where blacks are not equal, but where blacks are self-sufficient economically, because you know, until we have that, we're gonna, you know, there's no equality without, you know, you go to the store, say what you want. The dude, the dude that pulled up in the Lamborghini at the club is not equal to the dude that pulled up in the Pinto, and everybody knows that. Exactly. So tell me what Trump has done to even make the, the equality or equity, the equity portion of that, even a reality, even a possibility. What has he done? Absolutely nothing. So I agree with you. I agree, I agree with mm-hmm. you. But Policies and rules and regulations. There is not a policy that he has put in place that's doing that at all in any capacity, in any capacity. He has not signed. He has not authored and for um, nope. um uh, uh, pursued one bill since he's been in office. Not one. He has not passed a bill in Congress. Not one. In three years. Uh, the tax bill. He didn't do that. Mitch McConnell bill. did that. Mitch McConnell did that. No, no. He, he did not do any right. of that. Nope. He's not supposed to. He's the president. He signs that. He does not author any bill. Okay. Executive okay. But he was not even the author of the bill to even say, hey, Mitch, go do this. Mitch nope. did it on his own. Yep. Okay. Mitch and Mitch, Mitch represents Mitch represents the upper chamber of Congress, the United States Senate, and the yeah, United States Senate is supposed to galvanize and and speaking to the citizens of the hey, United but, States but, to draft but, a bill but, that the president bills, is capable of executing in in accordance with the Constitution. All all appropriation bills and fiscal bills are to uh, 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 originate in the House, not in the Senate. Correct. Yes. Okay. So the fact that Mitch did that, it wasn't something that came from Donald Trump. It was something that Mitch McConnell did. Okay. So Donald Trump had nothing to do with that. He has not even proposed a bill. All he has done is proposed um, uh, executive orders. He hasn't even proposed a bill to even give to the House or the Senate to even create or shepherd through. Which, again, brings me to his governing ability, his presidential ability, or anything else. He's a five-time bankrupt developer that got a half a billion dollars from his daddy, and he's just parlaying that into, from interest rates to get money from, from Russians and uh, RBC Bank and everybody else to do what he's done. But he hasn't done a damn number thing. One ranked, he, number one ranked TV show. And do you know what else he did? Okay. He became the 45th president only for, of the United States of America. You know how many people have tried and failed that and how many times they have? I mean, yep. so sure everything did. that you want to say about him, he, sure he won. Did. He did. He won. He, and about yeah. to win again. Well, he did get the, the, the uh, um, um, Electoral College. So he got that. He didn't win, but he did get the Electoral College. So he's like <laughs> W. He didn't W didn't win either, but he got the Electoral College. So Yeah, but he served you know, he served two terms we'll, at the we'll, Electoral College. We'll, we'll, and then we'll how he won presidency? There. Uh well W won his second term. He got the popular vote in his second election. He didn't get it in his first election. And I doubt very okay. seriously Donald Trump will ever get the popular vote. In fact, I will Can put you money on it right now. I'll put money on it right now. He will never get the popular vote. He may still get the electoral college vote, but he will never get the popular vote. I think it's going to be ugly. <laughs> it might be, my friend. It might be. I'll see you on the campaign trail, Gregory. I'll see you on the campaign trail. Thanks for coming back tonight, man. All right. Anytime, man. And looking forward to doing it live again. We got we to get back out there in the community. You know that, right? 
We'll get back out in the community. We, we're we're actually planning. Well, we're planning going up to Hampton. Uh, they want us to come up to Hampton, but we're gonna uh, start talking to some folks here. Uh, maybe um, we can go over to uh, the district uh, district soul food, and we can start broadcasting live out of there, and uh, and see what we can do on on Monday nights there. If they don't have that uh, karaoke and other stuff going there, which I also want to put a plug out for district soul food for our sponsorship uh, for coming back in, you know, at the last minute to help us out. Uh, and provide food for us uh, at the uh, at the uh, CBC Awards. So certainly we're going to start doing some things over there. Black-owned restaurant uh, right there on Capitol Hill, 8th and East Street, North, uh, Southeast. Uh, District Soul Food, go over there and see Dave and Eddie, uh, my man, and KC, the owners, and, uh, and tell them Black Politics Today sent you. When you go in there, tell them Black Politics Today sent you, and, uh, and they'll welcome you real good out there. So um, until next time, I want to thank my friend uh, Greg Stewart, for joining us tonight. And I told you when I started the show tonight that Greg would give us some stuff that would certainly cause a debate and cause discussion. He wasn't going to answer any questions because answering questions would have to admit some, you know, wrongdoings or just the ability, the fact that so much is going on that we don't know exactly how it's going to pan out and what's going to happen. But uh, certainly he's willing to come on the show each and every week, anytime we call him and share us his opinion and his talking points because he can memorize some talking points. Greg, I'll see you next time, man. We'll get back out into the community. Tell Ralph I said what's up. And until next time, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Today. Listen to it, man. Wake up, everybody. Good night. Oh. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.